Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We have, for the last couple of weeks, been looking at this idea of calling and, and the call. And that a calling is not reserved for just a select few people like you know, Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or somebody like that. that. That God has a call and a purpose on each and every life, which means He has a calling and a purpose on your life. And so we've been looking at that. What does that look like? And we started a couple weeks ago, and we just looked at and when Jesus called the original 12 disciples to follow him. And, and, and it's called them, just come follow me. Come follow me. And, and there was kind of this, this disconnect. And, and the big, big thing, the big sentence that I told you, you know, if you can memorize this sentence, this will keep you from all kinds of trouble. Okay? This will make life so much easier if you can just learn this sentence in response to Jesus. Because you say so, I will. How Peter was told to go put the nets down. On, you know, he'd been fishing all night, not caught a thing. He was an expert fisherman, and Jesus said, well, just humor me. You know? Just put the, put the nets down. And he said, Lord, we fished all night. We caught nothing, but because you say so, I will. And, and, and Jesus worked a miracle. Just learning that one sentence, because you say so, I will. It's the call to follow. Then we looked at the calling and career. How does that affect my job? And the big learning in that one was that it's not so much what you do or where you are. It's really about how you do it. And the one sentence out of that message is, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as for the Lord. That's what he's really interested in. And then last week, we talked about this idea of being held accountable, that, that God has gifted us and, and, and enabled us and empowered us with so many different things, but he's going to hold us accountable for it. And, and the big sentence out of that one was to be able to come to the end of my life and to be able to say, hear God say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. So we've been talking about this and, and what that looks like and, and how we do it, but this morning, I want to take a little bit of a different tack on the whole thing. Um, and look at it from a different perspective. Not so much on, on what you do in response to the call, but more importantly, who you are. Who you are called to become. Because I believe you can't truly succeed at what you do and fail at who you are. You, you just can't. And if what we do doesn't flow out of who we are, it's going to be a constant source of frustration and discouragement and disappointment and burnout. And that's not how we were intended to live. And the big thing is to understand that before God calls anybody to do anything, before he calls you to do anything, he just calls you to be, to become. And you'll find this over and over in the New Testament, especially in the, in the writings to, to the um, to the different churches. Paul wrote to the Roman church that to those who are loved by God and called to be saints. He wrote about it to Timothy, that he has saved us and called us to live a holy life. He wrote to the Galatian church, you, my brothers, were called to be free. There's this recurring theme throughout the New Testament about what we are called to be, how we are called to just live. And one of them, um, Peter, the Apostle Peter wrote, the second letter that he wrote, it's in, found in 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let me read it to you, because he kind of talks a little bit, this and summarizes this a little bit more. It says, it's a letter, so he starts it off with this way. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through 
who through righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and goodness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us a very, great and very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are called. We are called to be. We're called. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And, and I know for a lot of people, you hear the word godliness or, or holiness or being godly or holy, and you kind of get this mental picture in your head, you know, kind of like church lady, you know, just, just kind of a pinched up kind of a face. You're, you know, it's just, you know uptight and, and joyless and, and critical and judgmental and, and, and this, this whole list of regulations and restrictions, all the things that you want to do that are really fun to do and now you can't do them because you've got to be holy. And if it's going to be holy, it must not be fun, you know? And there must be a whole bunch of regulations now that I have to keep. And, that, and that's kind of the picture that a lot of people get when you talk about holiness, godliness. But that couldn't be further from the truth. And you know this because you look at the life of Jesus who was the holiest and most godly person to ever walk the face of this earth. And people loved him. They flocked to him. They enjoyed being around him, and he enjoyed being around them. That was a criticism he always got. He was having too much fun. But that's godliness, because godliness isn't a restriction on all this stuff I got to do. Godliness has to do with becoming the person God intended you to always be the best possible version of you, you can be. And that's going to look different in every one of our lives. But that's the true meaning of godliness. Holiness, holy, whole, complete. Being the best that you could possibly be, the best version of you. And, and sometimes we refer to this process of, of that whole becoming process as spiritual formation. And that's kind of what Peter's talking about here in this section. And that's what we're going to look at together. What does that look like? What does spiritual formation look like? And, and how do you pursue it? How do you make that happen in your life? There's a couple of really key things that uh, Peter kind of focuses in on. The first thing he says is that the one who calls us is also the one who empowers us. That God doesn't call us to something and then leave, us up, leave it up to us to figure out how to do it on our own. Peter wrote, his divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. Your life, your calling, is God's work in your life. It's his project, not yours. And he is far more interested in you fulfilling it than you are. 
And he's given you the tools. He's given us the ability, the power and the strength to be able to do that. That's what he says. He has given us everything we need for what? For life and godliness. He's given it to us already. And then all too often, we, we think of, of, of grace and this transforming power of Jesus Christ. What, when we know we got this, we talk about this a lot around here, this idea of a gap. There's a difference between who I am and who God created me to be. And we come to an understanding of that at some point in our lives, and, and we understand we can't bridge that gap. So we put our faith in Jesus Christ who bridged the gap for us. That's grace. And then we, 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 we take that first thing, but we realize there's still a lot of gap left. <laughs> and so then we try to do the rest of it all by ourselves. And it doesn't work. And we just keep thinking, well, if I try harder, if I, if I try new methods, if maybe I read a new book or take on different activities, if I just kind of discipline myself a little bit more, if I work a little bit harder at it, then I can bridge this gap. And so we keep trying to do it in our own strength. And we hear about how other people kind of do it, and they seem to be work, it seems to be working for them. So we think, well, maybe that's the answer. And when somebody talks about how they get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to spend two hours with God before they even eat their breakfast, and we think, maybe that's it. And so we do. We try it, and, you know, we can't keep our eyes open at 4 in the morning. And then, and then, and then somebody talks about journaling and, and pr- taking a prayer journal because they found that to be helpful for them. And just writing out their prayers helped them focus their prayer. And we think, that's what it is. Maybe if I just journal. But... We're not good journalists. We don't like journaling. But if we don't like it, it must be good for us, so that must be making me holy, you know? I I heard once uh, of someone who who actually, she started journaling and and really didn't like it, but thought, you know, this is what people do to get holy, so, you know, I'm going to do it, but would miss days and months and weeks at a time, you know, and just feel real, real guilty about it, and was feeling really bad about it, and talking to a friend, and friend said, well, here, just get another journal. And that way... When you got a big gap, you know, in between, you just write, see other journal. Relieves the guilt. We keep trying to do this all in our own strength. We try harder. We try new methods. We think rededications will help. Or we start to just kind of fake it a little bit. Or just give up altogether and hope someday when I get to heaven, I'll be that person. But what if, what if what Peter writes here really is true? What if God has really given us all that we really need? What if he's already placed that within us? Not to to try to do the whole thing on our own strength, but on his. See, the power that comes is the power of God's spirit within us. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, His Spirit comes and indwells us. The Spirit of God Himself lives within us. That's an incredibly powerful thought. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesian church that his prayer for them is out of the riches, of His glorious riches, that He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That you would realize what it is that God has placed within you. Now, that is a very real and, and solid thing, but it's also very, very mysterious. There's a bit of mystery. To, how does that work? Jesus said that the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He says, here's an example. It's a very real thing. 
You feel the wind when it blows on your face. You know the reality of the wind, but you can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. You can't package it up. It, 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 there's a mystery to this whole thing. It says that's the way it is with people who live by the Spirit. It, it's real and yet mysterious at the same time. And the best way I can illustrate this, and I know, I know I use a lot of saline illustrations, but it's my sermon so I can do what I want, all right? But it really is a lot like sailing. It really is. See, there's a big difference between a sailboat and a powerboat. Now, when I was growing up, my dad had a powerboat. We had a ski boat, and we went up to Lake Berryessa, Lake Chester. Every time we went skiing, the boat broke down. That's why he took up sailing. He was tired of repairing motorboats. But there's a big difference. In a motorboat, you control the whole thing. As long as that engine is purring, you get to go wherever you want. Sailing is a lot different. Sailing, the power doesn't come from within the boat. The power comes from outside. It's like the wind, Jesus said. The wind blows. And really good sailors, really good sailors learn how to read the wind. You recognize how the wind acts on the water. You recognize a little bit about weather patterns and clouding formations, all those kinds of things. And really, really good sailors know how to read the wind and to adjust their sails accordingly to make use of the power that's out there. And Jesus said, that's what it's like. That's what it's like. It is not my job to fix myself or to take on myself as a project. That is God's job. My job is to learn how to recognize the movement of the Spirit in my life. My job is to know what the indicators are and what it is God is saying and how it is that he is leading. And as we do this, his power begins to work in our lives. And the end goal of all of this is so that we could take on the character of Jesus Christ. He said he did this so you could share in his nature so that you could escape the evil that is in the world. What does that look like? Anytime you have a sense of desire for God, that's the Holy Spirit moving. When you start to feel remorseful about some of your behaviors, that's the Holy Spirit moving. Not neurotic guilt, but just a quickening and say, you know, that's not honoring to God. See, all those losing, that's, that's the Spirit at work in your heart. And you're just beginning to recognize it. Now, I think the greatest hindrance to all of this is we live such busy hectic lives that we don't take time to listen we wouldn't recognize the holy spirit's voice because we don't know, we don't spend enough time listening we don't spend enough time listening to our wives much less the holy spirit and it takes a slowing down now oh, some of you got that finally it takes a slowing down i had somebody come to me actually i had two people come to me this week say you preach way too fast You're talking too fast. So I'm going to slow it down. That's the pace I live at. We all do. We just run from one thing to another. And and, and the best thing you could do for your spiritual life is just simply take time to be quiet and listen. And learn to hear God's voice. He is the one who calls us. And he is the one who empowers us. 
And in this whole idea of becoming, this calling to become, what it really is, it's an invitation to a journey. There's no instant becoming. It's a process. It's a journey. Becoming takes time. It is traveling on a path, on a road. Do you know Do you know that the early Christians, first century Christians, were not called Christians for the longest time? They never referred to themselves as Christians. You read the book of Acts, and it's not until chapter 11 that it says that they were, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. For most of the time leading up to that, they were called something else. They referred to themselves as something else. They referred to themselves as followers of the way because they understood this is a journey, and he is the way, and we follow him. We are followers of the way. And so that's why when Peter talks about this, he starts talking about this progression. He says, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. Let me stop right there. Do you notice what's going on there? There is this kind of back and forth between learning and application. Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge. More learning, more wisdom, the self-control. That, that, that's, that's the process of growth. That's the process of spiritual formation. I learn and I apply back and forth. And I learn to recognize the call of God happens in the stuff of life. It happens as life goes on. And every season of life and every circumstance of life and every challenge and every crisis of life, God is calling His Holy Spirit is at work, and he's calling us forward. And a lot of times, it's it's not big, booming voices. It's subtle nudges and proddings. And you begin to apply this new life that you're learning about to everyday living. I'll give you another example. My wife works for the school district. Um, Betty is the... um, Administrative assistant to the superintendent and secretary of the board of trustees. Big, long title. Doesn't even fit on the business card. But so school just started this last week. And one of the things that she has done since she's been in this position, because um, she and the superintendent go and they visit all the different school sites. And so one of the things that she's always done, because she works with a lot of the the secretaries and a lot of the administrative personnel in all the other different different schools. And so one of the things that she has done for the last couple of years now is she just buys a little Starbucks, a little coffee card, $5 gift card. And she would go and just leave that and give that to each person that she works with directly. Um, Just as a little thank you, welcome to the school year, you know, hope it goes good for you. Here's a cup of coffee when it doesn't kind of a thing, you know. But here's the deal. There is one particular person that is a very, very difficult person in her life. And don't try and figure out who it is, okay, because you don't know. I see some of you going, okay, well, I wonder if it's the one in my school. That's not the point. Okay? But it's a particularly difficult person that she has had run-ins with over the last couple of years. And I don't know what it is. She doesn't really know what it is, but there's just this friction. Their personalities just don't... And it always seems like, you know, they're just kind of... And it, it's just kind of been rough. But she's one of the people that she deals with. So, so she decided... We had this discussion around the dinner table last couple weeks ago. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm, I got kind of this moral, ethical dilemma kind of thing because i buy these cards for everybody and i go when i deliver them to everybody um but 
this one person, she's just like a pain. And, 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 and I know she doesn't even like me. Now, that to me says a lot about this person because nobody doesn't like my wife, all right? Yeah. That, that can't be possible. There's a character defect there somewhere. I don't know. But so she said, I don't know what to do because we have this clash and, and she knows it and I know it. And I'm not sure. Because if I don't give her a card and I give them to everybody else, that's going to be really, really bad. But I don't really feel like giving her a card because, you know, she's not really my friend. What should I do? And so we were talking about it. Um, my wife and I and my son, daughter-in-law, sitting around the dinner table. We are talking about this. And so we said, well, okay, so what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Darn. <laughs> so she bought the card, and when she went there and distributed, the person wasn't at their desk, so she just left it. Has not heard a thank you yet. Okay, it's been a whole week. Hasn't gotten, but that's not the point, because it's, it's, not, it's not the reward that you get. It's what goes on inside your heart in that process. That you understand that God has called you to be something different. He's called me to be someone different, different than I am right now. And the way that that happens is through what we do and how we respond. Because what we do and who we become are connected. They're connected. And we're not talking about just behavior modification. We're talking about change of heart, character transformation. Because you see, you can change your behavior and not change your heart. Every one of us in this room knows that. Because we don't care a bit about the speed limit until we see a black and white car. And all of a sudden, we change our behavior. We don't change our hearts, but we change our behavior. They work hand in hand. And that's why when Peter talks about this, he doesn't give a whole list of do's and don'ts. He talks about character and quality of personhood. And to self-control, he says, add perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. That my call becomes about living deeply connected with God. That it comes down to how I live in the power of the Spirit and not needing to pretend. I can be honest about my weaknesses and I can let God change me. And I can change my behavior with the goal of making it change my heart. And I don't have to be discouraged if I'm not doing it just right because God's still at work within me. That's the idea. By the way, do you know those last two that he puts on there? Brotherly kindness and love. You know what those two words, in, in the original language, which was Greek, those two words are the two words given for love most in the Bible. Phileo, which is where we get our Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, brotherly kindness, and agape. The love of God. He says, this is what you want to see developing in your life. And it adds and it builds on and it develops you into a more loving person. Because what did Jesus say that all the law and the prophets are summed up in? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the question becomes, am I becoming a more loving person? A more trusting person? towards other people, towards God, because that is what he is calling us to. Now, we're not perfect. It's a journey, and the journeying takes time. 
But through the journey, we are learning to walk this path. Oz Guinness writes about it in his book, The Call, which I highly recommend, by the way, and it's available if you want to pick one up at the Resource Center. Uh, We do that to make these available to you. But let me just read you a little bit of what he writes about this idea of being a follower. He says, For those who live life as a journey and see faith as a journey, calling has an obvious implication. It reminds us that we are all at a different stage on the way and none of us alive has yet arrived. Trouble comes when we forget this fact and pretend that life is static and settled as if everything were a matter of sharp lines, clear boundaries and precise labels and final assessments so that some are in, some are out, some have arrived and others not. But we have one who goes with us on this journey. We are still on a journey, and we are truly travelers. But we are not wanderers. We are wayfarers. We have discovered that he is the way, but we are still on the road. Until Christ identifies and welcomes home the disciples he has called, we, his followers, can expect to be unfinished and unvarnished as we are unlikely. But we are on the road, and we are followers of the way. Peter said, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you can see these things growing in your life, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you see being and development in becoming, they will keep you better at doing and one last thought that in this whole process of becoming who God intended us to be that becoming who God intended calls us to intentionality there is a response required of us to respond to the call of God on my life to respond to the life he wants to put within me to respond to that is to take responsibility And that's why he says, for this very reason, make every effort. He says, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling election sure. He says, this is something worth pursuing. This is something worth making your life about. This call, this life is important, and it's worth giving it your all. And sometimes I think we make make a confused we got this confusion between grace and passivity. And we kind of think, well, if it's God's work and it's God's power and it's God's spirit, then I'll just kind of sit back and see what happens. And when the, quote, spirit moves me, which doesn't happen very often, then I'll make changes. He said, no, he's calling you all the time. He's calling you forward. He's calling you onward. You're on this road. So keep walking the road. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace doesn't mean no effort. Grace means an effort out of the sense that God is working within you. That's what he says. For this very reason, therefore, my brothers. Now, Bible learning 101. When you see the word in Scripture, therefore, okay? We said this before. What do you do? You stop and see what it's there for. Real easy. 
Because when he says a therefore, he is building, he is, he's given an application to all the things he's been talking about. And what he is saying is, because God is at work in your life, because he has given you all the power and everything you need for life and godliness, because he has done that, you can do it with confidence. Therefore, make every effort, not as a means of earning, but with the understanding he's given you the ability to do it so you're not doing it on your own. So therefore, give it your best shot. Because he is at work within you. You have a part in all of this. Paul put it this way to the Philippian church. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's the idea. God is at work within you. So now work it out in your everyday life. And this learning and applying and learning and applying, that's all how it happens. Now, let me just give you one way, one example of how you can do this. It's a very, very simple thing. It's just because there are certain activities and certain disciplines, uh, certain habits that you can develop that will help you learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. And one of the best things you could do is just learning to spend some time in God's Word. Taking out your Bible on a regular basis in a time of quietness without distraction, and read. And not just read, but reflect and meditate. And even maybe memorize. Because there is something about learning God's word and memorizing God's word that is, because that's his work. That's his work within you. Now I'll give you just one example. And don't just memorize like one sentence, okay? Memorize a section. Of, and, and there's some that you probably already have memorized or partly memorized. Psalm 23 is a really good example of that. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I will not live in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod, his staff, they comfort me. Pairs a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, maybe you haven't memorized that whole thing. Maybe you've memorized parts of that. I'm sure I missed some parts in it, okay? But here's the idea. Reflect on that. What does that mean? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I will not live in want. Because God is in control of my life, because he is the one who is leading, because he is the one who is providing, I don't have to live with this constant desire for more. I can let go of that and trust that he is at work and he's going to provide all that I need. And when I go through a crisis in my life and everything just seems to be falling apart and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He is with me. You see, Spirit uses those words that he inspired people long ago to write for you. And as you reflect on that and you learn it and you let it get into you, it becomes one of the best ways the Spirit of God speaks to you. I cannot tell you how many times at those two in the morning wake-ups when my mind is racing and filled with all kinds of stuff that I don't recite Psalm 23. 
Lord is my shepherd, shall not live in want. He restores my soul. And I hang on that one all the time. But that's how God speaks. And we learn that. Not, not in a legalistic kind of doing my homework, showing you know, God how good I am so that he'll give me the brownie points and let me into heaven. It's not that kind of a thing. It's so that it can wash through your life. And you can see how it applies. And you can discover who it is God created you to be. Because that's the heart of the whole thing. He has got a version of you that you haven't yet experienced. But you're on the way. You're on the way. So make use of the things that he's already provided. So that, so that you could fulfill the calling that he has on your life. Or as Peter put it, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or as we looked at the passage last week, to be able to hear at the end of your life, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 